Part One, Chapter Twelve A of Recollections of the Revolution and the Empire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Seventeen ninety one to seventeen ninety two. Residence in Holland. I resumed my life at Paris at the Hotel de la Guerre. Nearly every morning I rode on horseback, accompanied by my cousin Dominique Sheldon. I often went to the theatre with young Madame de Noailles, whose mother, Madame Laborde, did not go out. Every day my father-in-law became more disgusted with the ministry. Nearly all the regiments of the army were in a state of revolt. The greater part of the officers, instead of opposing the efforts of the revolutionists with consistent firmness, sent in their resignations and left France. Emigration became a point of honour. The officers who remained with their regiments received letters from those who had emigrated reproaching them for cowardice and lack of attachment to the royal family. They endeavoured to make them see that it was their duty to abandon their sovereign. They promised them the intervention of enormous armies of foreigners. The king, whose feebleness was equal to his goodness, hesitated to arrest this torrent. It thus happened that every day saw the departure of some members of his party or even of his household. My father-in-law, who was powerless against the intrigues of the assembly, and who did not find in the king the firmness which he had a right to expect, resolved to leave the ministry. This he did on the 15th of November, 1790. It was proposed that my husband should succeed him. He had just finished a plan for the reorganization of the army, which was entirely his own work. The king himself felt that the author of this plan was capable of putting it into operation. My husband refused. He did not wish to succeed his father, for fear that the matter would be misinterpreted. It was at this time, in the last days of December 1790, that he was given the place of Minister Plenipotentiary to Holland. It was arranged, however, that he should not join his post before the King had accepted the Constitution, which the National Assembly expected to finish before the end of the winter. Having left the Hôtel de la Guerre, we went to live in the house of my aunt, Madame Denin, Rue de Varennes, near the Rue de Bac. She had had transported here all the furniture from the Rue de Verneuil, where she had given up her lease. This house was very convenient. We lived there with my sister-in-law, Madame de la Mette, with her two children, and my father-in-law. My husband kept the saddle horses and a coupé horse for himself. My father-in-law did not wish to have any carriage. He kept only two carriage horses for my sister-in-law and myself. Madame de la Mette hardly ever went out in the evening, but she went every morning to the sittings of the Assembly, which were held in the riding school of the Tuileries. The National Assembly had taken up its quarters in this place at the time it was transferred from Versailles to Paris. I occasionally went to meetings which I thought would interest me, but not regularly, like my sister-in-law. My mornings were employed more usefully. I had a master of design, one of singing, one for Italian, 
and if the weather was good I rode horseback from three o'clock to nightfall. When my cousin Sheldon was able to accompany me I went to the Bois de Boulogne, but more often I went by the Plaine de Granelle to the Bois de Meudon, and those days I rode a thoroughbred, who was very lively and whose manners pleased me very much, but it was difficult to manage him at the Bois de Boulogne, because he would not allow another horse before him, and was always ready to run away. In the spring of 1791, my husband made his preparations to leave for Holland. We packed up our effects, and our boxes were sent to Rotterdam by sea. We sold our saddle-horses, and set out with our son and his nurse for Anoncourt, where my sister-in-law was staying. Monsieur de la Tour du Pain came to pass some time there, and then returned to Paris to finish up his business. At Paris, he was informed by Monsieur Montmorin that the King did not wish him to leave for his post until the day after the Constitution, which was to be presented to him, had received the royal sanction. My husband therefore remained at Paris. I went to rejoin him for several days to see the indecent funeral procession of Voltaire, when his remains were taken to the Pantheon. I was living quietly at Anoncourt with my sister-in-law, when my negro servant Zamore entered my room at about nine o'clock one morning in a state of great excitement. He informed me that two strangers had passed in front of the gate, who stated that the evening before the king, his children, the queen and madame Elizabeth had left Paris, and that it was not known where they had gone. This news troubled me very much and I wished to speak with these men, I ran to the gate of the court, but they had already disappeared, and no one knew what had become of them. My anxiety was very great, as I was afraid that my husband might be compromised. Therefore I decided to send Zamor to Paris as a courier to obtain some definite news. An hour later he set up, but before he returned, I received by mail a word from my husband, which confirmed the news. My brother-in-law returned from Amiens, where he was at the time, and we passed two days in a state of agitation which nothing can describe. Ignorant of the outcome of this adventure, the days seemed like centuries. My brother-in-law would not allow us to go to Amiens for fear that they might close the city gates, and that we would not be able to return to the country. We hoped that the king had passed the frontier, but we did not dare to calculate the effect that this event would cause in Paris. My anxiety for my husband was intense, but I did not dare go to rejoin him because he had forbidden me to do so. On the third day at evening we learned by a man who had come from Amiens that the king had been arrested and taken back as a prisoner to Paris. An hour later, Zamora arrived, bringing a long letter from my husband, who was in despair. I will not attempt to relate the details of this unfortunate flight, so badly organised. The memoirs of the time have recounted all the circumstances. This whole affair, originated by Monsieur Fersen, who was a fool, was one succession of mistakes and imprudences. It was only after a seclusion of two months 
that the king decided to accept the constitution which had been presented to him my husband had drawn up a long memorandum written entirely in his own hand but not signed in which he implored the king to refuse to sign this memorandum which was handed by my husband personally to the king was found after the tenth of august in the famous armoire de fer the king had written at the top handed me by monsieur g to advise me to refuse the constitution later it was generally supposed that the initial was that of monsieur gouvion who was killed in one of the first combats of the war after the acceptance of the constitution during the session of the legislative assembly there were several months of respite and i am persuaded that if war had not been declared if the emigres had returned as the king seemed to desire the excesses of the revolution would have been arrested but the king and queen believed in the good faith of the powers every party was deceived and france saw and found glory in the defence of its territory as napoleon said to sears si j'avais été à la place de lafayette de quoi serait encore sur le trône et vous l'abbé vous seriez trop heureux de me dire la messe we set out for the hague at the beginning of october seventeen ninety one my sister-in-law accompanied us with her two sons and their tutor my sister-in-law's health was very bad for the consumption of which she died the following year had already made much progress as she was very fond of society the thought of spending the winter alone at enoncourt was insupportable she no longer had an establishment at paris until the revolution she had lived with her whole family at the hotel de la Mette rue de notre dame des champs there the mother of the four lamette brothers who was a sister of marechal de bonny had brought up her children the marechal had placed the boys in four different regiments and the three youngest had taken part with distinction in the american war in which one of them charles had been severely wounded my husband's brother-in-law the eldest of the four had retired to the country after having resigned as colonel of the regiment of the Corant infanterie the second brother theodore also left the army and is still living at the time these lines are written eighteen forty one the third charles had married mademoiselle picot the only daughter and heir of a planter of saint domingue and lived at bayonne in seventeen eighty seven the french embassy had been driven from holland and the comte de saint priest had retired to antwerp france was only represented at the hague by a charge d'affaires monsieur caillat who was a consummate diplomat he was very useful to my husband who until then had never occupied himself with diplomacy except in reading history which was his favourite study when we arrived at the hague in the month of october seventeen ninety one the stadtholder was at berlin where he had gone to attend the marriage of his eldest son to the young princess of prussia he returned to the hague several months later and then there began a series of fetes balls and suppers and diversions of every kind which were very pleasant for my twenty-one years i had brought many elegant things with me from france 
and I soon became very much in vogue. They tried to copy me in everything. I danced very well, and my success at the balls was very great. I enjoyed it like a child. No thought of the morrow bothered me. At all the social reunions, I was the first. The Princesse d'Orange did not object to being dressed like me, and to have her hair dressed by my valet de chambre. In short, this life of success, which was to last so short a time, intoxicated me. When de Maurier was appointed Minister of Foreign Affairs in the month of March 1792, his first care was to avenge himself for I know not what personal discontent which had been caused him by my father-in-law during the time he was minister. He therefore recalled my husband, under the false pretext that he had not shown sufficient firmness in demanding reparation for a pretended insult made to the national flag of France. As soon as we received the news of our recall, we at once leased a pretty little unfurnished house for ourselves, my sister-in-law and her children. She did not wish to return to France, and preferred to remain with me at The Hague. During the day, all the furniture which belonged to us, and which we did not wish to sell, was transported to this house. The rest of our effects, as well as the wines, the service of porcelain, the horses and carriages, remained at the Hôtel de France, to be placed on sale after the arrival of the new minister, in case he did not wish to acquire them from us. As my husband had no secretary of legation, because Monsieur Kaya had been sent to Petersburg as chargé d'affaires, he placed the archives in the hands of his own private secretary, who was none other than Monsieur Combe, my former instructor. Monsieur de la Tour du Pain then left for England to see my father, who had just arrived there, in order to persuade him to rejoin us at The Hague. From there he went to Paris, whence he wrote me by every mail, letters which were more and more alarming. Monsieur de Mould, who had been appointed minister to The Hague, arrived at his post about the 10th of August, and was very badly received. No one paid any visits to him except the ambassador of England, which power was not yet at war with France. He did not wish to buy any of our effects, and sent his secretary to notify me of his refusal to allow us to have the auction sale of our things held in the salons of the ground floor of the Hôtel de France. As the weather was fine, I obtained permission to have the sale of our things held upon the Petit Poirot a charming promenade before the door of the embassy. This auction was an event at The Hague. All my friends were present, and the smallest things were sold at a very high price. I received a sum of money which was more than double what everything had cost us. The proceeds of the sale were put in the hands of Monsieur Moliere, a trustworthy Dutch banker. He took care of the money, and later on sent it to me in America. End of part one, chapter 12a.